Yesterday morning, my little girl came to me and she said, Dad, I want to write a book. And I said, okay. And she said, no, I'm serious, the kind that gets published. I said, all right, what are you going to write about? She said, I'm going to write a book about being blind. I thought, you know, that kind of makes sense. I, I bet a lot of people would read that book. She's got an interesting story. I mean, everything about her life to this point and as we look into the future, it's going to be interesting. And you have a story too, right? It's about life's mountains and about life's valleys, those highs and those lows, those good times and those bad times, those difficulties as well as those seasons of celebrations where you experience things like birthdays and births and anniversaries and graduations, marriages, celebrations. And then we walk through difficult moments like illness and death, perhaps divorce and job loss. And all of these things write a story. Like as a TV show once said, sands in an hourglass. The story of the day's of our lives. Psalms 23 gives us perhaps the best passage of words ever written, not just religious words, ever written about how to navigate the days of our lives. How do we walk through these seasons, all kinds of seasons, in a way that is helpful and healthy? We think of this psalm as words about how to die. That's where most of you heard this until these last several weeks. But these words tell us how to live the days of our lives. Listen to them again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me Besides still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you catch that? This passage begins and ends with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. This book, this passage, this world, your life, it's all about the Lord. This means nothing if not for the Lord. Your life is void and empty if not for the Lord. And yet, 
This God, the Lord, Jehovah, the great I am, the one who was and is and forever will be. This God is not some distant deity because 17 times in these six verses I see these words, me and my and I. This Lord is a personal God. This covenant God, Jehovah, he wants a personal relationship with me. So let's make it personal right now. Let's stand again. And let's personalize these words. Beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together once more. God, that's our simple prayer today. Make this moment personal for each of us. Giving us what we do not have, teaching us what we do not know, making us new different, fresh today in our faith. God, someone's going to hear these words and they don't have you as their shepherd. They're not a part of your family. They're not following you, Jesus. They're not indwelt by you, Holy Spirit. Would you call them to you? Would you work even now to just, in their heart and their mind, so make it clear that they need you more than anything else, that you really are the answer, Jesus. May this be the day of their salvation. So, please, in the name of Jesus, let the words I say and the thoughts I think not get in the way, but may they be used for your glory, Lord. And just as you've redeemed me, May you redeem this time. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've come to the end of our journey. King David wrote these words from the perspective of a sheep. We've learned some things about sheep. We've learned that the Bible calls us sheep more than 200 times. It refers to those of us who follow after God as sheep. Dumb sheep, dirty sheep, often defenseless, helpless sheep. As you read through Psalm 23, you get to verse 6, and it appears that a year in the life of sheep has passed. They've been in the green pastures, they've been beside the still waters, they went through the dark valley. They've avoided the enemies even that surrounded them. And now 
They're almost home. And they're reflecting on the shepherd's care. That's what verse 6 is about. The loving care of the shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's something about the child of God that has to understand the need to regularly look back at God's goodness and His loving care. It's so easy to get focused on this world, our circumstances. If you want to be a little negative, we could call that navel-gazing. We're looking down at our own problems. And yet something takes place when we look to God and we inhale His majesty. That's why the Psalms are full of this, and that's why it's so helpful for us to read through the Psalms. So when you read one like Psalms 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not His benefits. Have you forgotten His benefits today? He forgives your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's our loving God, the one who cares for us. As we sum up this psalm, I I want you to understand This simple truth, the loving care of the good shepherd is all we need to navigate life's ups and downs. It is a journey. You have a story. It's good and bad. It's happy and sad. But the loving care of the good shepherd is all you need to navigate life's ups and downs. So you have to ask, who's the good shepherd? I'm glad you've asked. Listen to John 10 verse 7. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. Now, to understand this, you need to understand a little bit about the sheep and the shepherd. The sheep, at the end of the day, would be led by the shepherd into what we could affectionately call a pen, a sheep's pen. It may not be man-made. It may be just an area of the earth that is carved out and perfectly fit for this occasion. But it has walls. It's something on the side to keep the sheep in. But it has no gate. It has no door. That's the job of the shepherd. The shepherd would stand at the opening and he would prevent sheep from getting out. He would lay at the opening and he would prevent predators from getting in. The shepherd was the door. And so Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and that's the gospel, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to our own way, but God laid on him, Jesus, the good shepherd, the sins of us all. And when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't doing that as the punishment of man. He was doing that taking the punishment of man. He took God's anger, the wrath that God rightly and justly has for you and me, and he took it on himself. 
He laid down his life. The good shepherd did. For you and me. Why? Because he loves us. And maybe today, that's why God's brought you to this point. You need to hear those life-changing words. God loves you. No matter what you've done, regardless of where you are at this moment in life, the God of the universe, the creator of all that is, he loves you. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the message of the good shepherd. And Psalm 23 verse 6 gives us some specific things we need to know about God's love. First, it tells us that God's love is promised. It begins with this word, surely. (laughs) When you hear that word surely, what you understand is this is something that's going to happen. It's an expectation based on past experience. When you look up, in a Florida afternoon into the sky and you see nothing but dark clouds and you hear the thunder begin to roar and just in front of you, you see the lightning strike. If you're still dry, you're going to say, surely it's about to rain. Surely is a expectation of what's going to happen based on past experience. And in this case, it's a promise of God. Sometimes we wonder about God's presence. We wonder about his power. We wonder about his provisions. Surely reminds us that God's presence and his love in our life is not questioned. It's proclaimed. I want to challenge you as we get started today. Don't you dare put a question mark where God has put an exclamation mark. Don't you question those things that he has made clear when the psalmist, when David says, surely, it's, it's another reminder in these simple six verses that even though we walk through the valley, in those even though moments of life, our God is with us. We can count on him. It's a no matter what understanding of who God is. It's what Paul described when he wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, and he's talking about God's love. He says, I want you to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth so that you can know the love of Christ. That's what he's saying. Surely you can count on this. It has been given to us throughout Scripture. Jeremiah 31.3, Isaiah said, I have looked to you with an everlasting love. Therefore, you've continued my faithfulness to you. I've loved you with an everlasting love, says Jeremiah. And then in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then you've heard us talk about Romans 5, verse 8, that says that God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's easy when we see all the good things around us to know that God loves us. When life is green pastures and still waters, when we're in the paths of righteousness, when things are going right, It's easy to proclaim God is good. But a lot of us have lived long enough to know that's not always the case. We face dark valleys. We encounter death's shadow. 
And sometimes we're in the presence of our enemies. Is God good then? See, one of the biggest decisions you've got to make is whether or not you trust God's word. Because in God's word, there are some definite things said about who he is. For example, Psalms 119.68 says, you are good and do good. Let's say that one out loud. Say, you are good and do good. Say it. Do you trust that? Do you believe that God is good and that he does good? If we believe God is good and that he does good, we can say surely even in the face of uncertainty. If we believe God is good and that he does good, we can say surely even in the face of difficulty. If we believe God is good and that he does good, we can say surely even when we don't understand Because our expectation is not based on our feelings or our circumstances. It's based on what we know about God, and He is good, and He does good. There are things that happen on this side of heaven that we will never understand. But we can count on the promise of God that He is good and that He does good. That's why Romans 8 says, And we know that all things, say all things, work together for good to those who love God and are according according to his purpose. So what is this loving goodness of God? How is it described? First is the word goodness. And goodness really is like an Old Testament version of God's grace, that God's giving us stuff we don't even deserve. Don't you love it when you get gifts that you didn't ask for, things that you wanted that you knew you may have liked, but You really didn't deserve them. That's God's goodness. It's his perfection and the fulfillment of his will. It's those ways you look in your life and you look back down in your past and you say, hey, I I didn't do anything to cause this. I couldn't have controlled this. But oh, God has been good to me. Let me ask you, church, can any of you say today that God has been good to you? It's his goodness. It's those times in your life where you see his presence in that mighty way. And then there's his mercy. And we receive mercy even when we don't deserve it. It's him not giving us the punishment we should get. It speaks of his covenant relationship. His faithfulness. That's what is talked about. In Lamentations 3.22, when it says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's why it should stir our hearts when we sing, great is your faithfulness. I heard Tony Evans one time teaching through this passage, and he said that goodness and mercy are like two sheepdogs. And we're following after the shepherd, but he's got goodness and mercy that are following after us to keep us in line. And what happens is we're prone to wander, right? We, like sheep, have gone astray. And so we get off the path, and one of those sheepdogs come after us and (laughs) getting us back. And we do those things that, man, really should get us into trouble. We blow it. We sin. We hurt people. 
And that old sheepdog mercy comes after us. Getting us back on track. That's what he's giving us. Charles Spurgeon calls it that God's goodness supplies our needs and his mercy blots out our sin. John Phillips says, goodness takes care of my steps and his mercy takes care of my stumbles. I, I want you to know that God's love is promised. You can say surely. Say surely. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. I want you also to see that God's love pursues us. Now, what does follow me imply? It implies that there is movement. You're not following somebody if they're just standing still. You're standing behind them. But if I'm moving, goodness and mercy are following after me. I told you that God loves you, but maybe you need to know that that he's pursuing you. Did you know that? You love him because he first loved you. That's who God is. Hebrews puts it this way. It says, he's the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. So yes, we start the journey with him, but he's faithful to bring it to completion in our lives. He leads after us. He leads us, but he also guides us. He's pursuing you today. I mentioned my daughter. Another conversation I had with her yesterday, there was just a little bit of a, let's just call it an attitude adjustment that needed to be made. And so we had a little daddy-daughter time. And I told her, um, I said, you know your brothers, dad saw all of them for the first time when they came out of mommy's tummy. And I was so excited. That's when mom and I gave them their names, man, and we knew we loved them. But I said, Anaya, do you know that's not the first time that dad saw you? Really? Yeah. Did you know I knew you before you were my daughter? Yes. Did you know I knew you and I knew you were blind? Yes, sir. I knew that you had never really been around children, and so you were kind of fussy. You cried a lot. Yeah. I said, but baby girl, did you know that even though mom and dad knew you, and we knew all that about you, we chose you to be a part of our family? She got this big old smile on her face. And I said, and you'll always be a Purvis princess. Maybe today you need to be reminded that before you knew God, God knew you. And before you loved God, God loved you. And before you chose God, God chose you. In spite of who you were, in spite of what he knew about you, he chose you. And he's still choosing you. When you wander away, he's pursuing you. He's following after you. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. I think there may be a dual meaning here, though. Yes, God is pursuing us. He's following after us. But when we're walking with him, when we're following the shepherd, 
goodness and mercy are left behind in our lives. We leave something behind. We leave a legacy. That's the way it's supposed to be. If you are a follower of Christ, and and by far most who gather together to worship, they've already proclaimed to be followers of Christ. But if you are a follower of Christ, what should be happening is when you go forward, you leave a trail of good things behind. You point people to the shepherd. So I would just ask you before we go on to the remainder of this verse, what are you leaving behind? Do you leave a trail of sadness or of gladness? Do you leave a legacy of blessing? The greatest blessing you can leave is to point other people to Jesus. That's what it says in Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. You want to make a real difference? Then just point people to Jesus. When you're gone, what's left? Peace or turmoil? Forgiveness or bitterness? Contentment or conflict? You got the promise of God's love. You got the pursuit of God's love. But the last thing I want you to see is that God's love is permanent. God's love is permanent. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And David makes it clear that, yes, he's talking about this life, but he's not just talking about this life, right? All the days of my life and forever. What's he going to do? He's going to dwell in the house of the Lord. What is this? Is this a temple? David wouldn't get to build the temple. Was he just longing for the temple? Is he longing for heaven? He didn't know the words of Jesus where in John 14, Jesus would say, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? Heaven. But David didn't have that. He knew there would be an afterlife with God, but I don't think he's talking about the temple, or I don't think he's even talking about heaven. I think this idea that David has about being in the house of God is more than that, and Even as he comes back to this in Psalms 27 and verse 4, he says, one thing, say one thing. One thing thing I've asked of the Lord that I'll seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. What is he talking about? I think he's talking about God's presence. The presence of God was important to David, and it needs to be important to you and me. Our destination, this whole journey, the sand in the hourglass, it's not about just going to heaven. That's why some of you are not leaving a good trail behind you because all you're thinking about is I've got my ticket punched to heaven. You don't realize is that our destination is not a place, it's a person. God wants us just to be in his presence. That's why he indwells us. The Holy Spirit of God comes into our lives and our bodies become the temple of God. Don't miss this. That's what we've been saying throughout the whole chapter. The most important thing for a sheep is their proximity to the shepherd. Maybe your prayer should be a version of what David prayed. Lord, 
make me ever aware of your presence. Oh, Lord, make me ever aware of your presence. And by the way, that's what worship is. Worship is not about the style of song you sing or what you wear while you do it. It's not about the level of sound in the room or the lights that we may use just to encourage us. No. Worship is practicing the presence of God. It's an awareness that there is one who is greater than us, who's worthy of all our energy, of all our intention, of all that we are. But he says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this presence of God is not something that's temporary, right? In theology, we call this the doctrine of what? Eternal security. It's a key doctrine of our faith. We believe that if you truly have this relationship with God, if you're truly saved, you will always be saved. That's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. Listen to this verse from Ephesians 1. In him, that's Jesus, also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, so when you heard the gospel and you believed in him, so you took that step to begin a relationship with him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. What does that word sealed mean? I baked some cookies last night. You should be impressed. There was one of those left sitting on the cookie sheet right before I went to bed. I did not want the cat to get my cookie or anything else that may crawl around a house. And so I went to the drawer and I pulled out a Ziploc baggie. And I put the cookie in there and I did what? I sealed it. So this verse says that when you begin that relationship with Christ because you've heard the gospel and you've believed what it means, you've trusted your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God enters your life and he seals that relationship. He becomes the guarantee, it says in the rest of the verse, of our inheritance until we have the possession of it. So until we see Jesus face to face, the Holy Spirit of God is indwelling us and he's giving us his presence and he's doing this so that our lives may give him glory. That's what it's all about. The Good Shepherd also speaks to this. In John 10, listen to what it goes on to say. In verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life, forever life. And they never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And my father who's given them to me is is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of my father's hand. What is he saying? This thing is forever. When you begin that relationship with God, he doesn't treat your heart like a cheap hotel where he checks in one day and checks out another. And if if you please him, he's there. And if you blow it, he's out of there. No. That's why it says in Hebrews 13, 5, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And, And we don't study Greek in Sunday morning, but you need to know when this was written in the original language, it is emphatic. And it literally means, I will never, no, never, not ever leave you or forsake you. This is a permanent thing. This love of God that's promised for you, this love of God that's pursuing you, that love is permanent 
And that's why, as we read this psalm, we can say the loving care of the good shepherd is all we need to navigate life's ups and downs. So what you've got to determine in these days of your life is the Lord your shepherd. If he is, man, this psalm makes us celebrate. Because we're thinking about the goodness, the mercy of God that's trailing after us. We've got his presence forever. We look around. We see him. Beneath us are the green pastures. Beside us are the still waters. With us are his rod and his staff. Before us is a feast. Following after us is goodness and mercy. And ahead of us is the presence of God. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a shepherd. He is a good shepherd. He is all that we need. But if he's not our shepherd, then we're still lacking. And all we need is Jesus. So we're going to stand again right now. And one last time, we're going to recite this Psalms. And I really want you to personalize it. When we get to those 17 personal words, me, my, I, I don't want you just to say them. If the Lord is your shepherd, internalize this today. If he's not, then ask what you're going to do about that. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, friend, the loving care of the Good Shepherd is all we need to navigate life's up and downs. That's all we need. And if you've got that, <laughs> it changes everything. The preacher was doing what I've done many times. He was meeting with the lady that was about to die. And she was doing what I've heard many times. She was telling him what to say at her funeral and what to do. And as he prepared to leave, knowing he had seen her the last time, she said, preacher, one more thing. He said, yes, ma'am, what you need. She said, when I'm there in my casket and y'all are remembering my life, Make sure they put a fork in my hand. 
I've told my family to do that, but sometimes they don't do what I ask. Make sure they put a fork in my hand. (laughs) He kind of laughed as some of you did, and he said, okay, but why? (laughs) She said, you know, all my life I've been going to church, and all my life we like to eat at church, and we eat good, and they bring us a great meal, and it's good. But we get to the end of that meal, and they come and take my plate, and they always say the same thing. You keep your fork, because the best is yet to come. She said, Preacher, I want everybody to know, though I've breathed my last, the best for me is still to come. If the Lord is your shepherd, that changes everything. Don't you forget it. If he's not, let's make that right right now. Let's bow our heads together. I want to tell you some truth. The Bible says that If you've never truly begun a relationship with Christ, you're separated from God. That means at this point, you're destined to a forever separated from Him. The Bible even tells us where that forever takes place. It's it's hell. That's not good news, but it is truth. Let me tell you some more truth. The Bible also says that that's not God's desire for any of you. He does not want you to go to hell. He does not want you to be separated from him. He's a good shepherd. And so that's why the Bible says, even though we like sheep have gone astray, he laid upon Jesus our sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. So that he could take your punishment, just like he took my punishment. So that you could have his forgiveness, just like I've received his forgiveness. And so that you could have life, just like I have life. (laughs) That doesn't mean I'm perfect. That would be untrue. Just ask anybody that knows me well. But it means that I've got God's love. And there's nothing that can take that away. And I believe there's some of you here that you may even be a member of this church. You, you may have been very religious. I don't know. You could be Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Assembly of God, Presbyterian, Baptist, fill in the blank. I don't know. But deep in your heart, you know you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is not your good shepherd. You're not following after the shepherd. And something about our time together has led you to a place where you know you need to make that right. So I'm going to ask you right now to just cry out to God. And you can do that in your own words. You can say, oh God, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. You can say, Jesus, I believe you died for me and I know you're alive. I want you to come into my life and never leave. And he'll do it. But I've done this long enough to know sometimes you're in that moment and you just don't even know the words to say. So this prayer is not a magic prayer. It means nothing unless it means everything to you. 
and then it means everything. Maybe God would have you just say these words. Make this your prayer. Just you and him right now. Dear Jesus, just tell him, dear Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I'm a lost sheep. I need a shepherd. I need a savior. I believe you died for me, Jesus. You took my punishment. And I believe you're alive today. I'm ready to receive your forgiveness. I'm ready to follow after you. So change me right now. Save me. I'm yours. Come into my life to never leave. Tell him thank you. Say thank you, Jesus.